Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. Lori watched the radar on her phone with apprehension as red as the blossoming tumor which was spreading over Iowa. She leaned against the glass candy display case and shook her head. We might have to call it, she said. Max, the high schooler working the cash register that afternoon, replied, What do you mean? I mean, we might have to shut down the theaters and give everybody refunds, send them home before the system gets any worse. She turned her phone toward Max, and he bent close to study the red explosion. Rain was already pouring so hard they could hear it pattering on the roof. Thunder so loud Max thought he was hearing explosions from Transformers, Rise of the Beasts, rattled the doors and chandeliers. Isn't everyone safer here than driving out there? Max asked. Oh, Max, you innocent child, Lori sarcastically chided. It's not about their safety, it's about our liability. Max looked horrified. Lori laughed. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. You should see your face. Her teasing smile softened. No, you're right. They are technically safer here, but think about what'll happen if we lose power. Everyone in the dark, windowless theaters when the lights go out and the screens go black. Everyone climbing over each other trying to get to the exits. That would be a nightmare. But by the time I give them all refunds, just hand everybody vouchers on their way out. Tell them they can come back and finish the movie tomorrow or whenever is convenient. I think The Flash is just about over, so let's let that one finish, then clear out Spider-Man and Elemental. Fortunately, no one had showed up to the matinees of the Boogeyman or Transformers. If Lori and Max could find a silver lining, it was that this storm had decided to roll through at 2pm on a Monday afternoon. On cue, a giggling couple came out of Theater 1, arm in arm. One of them tossed the empty popcorn bucket they had shared into the trash can, while the other slurped the last few drops of soda from between ice chips at the bottom of a collectible cup. They both froze when lightning flashed through the front doors and thunder cracked like a whip. It's getting pretty bad, Lori warned the couple. I'd get going before it gets any worse. They nodded and hurried toward the doors. One of them whispered something, and both started giggling again. Lori couldn't wait for school to restart. School forced these careless teens to take something at least semi-seriously, 
Most of them acted like consequences took summers off with their teachers. Soon, a steady stream of moviegoers were meandering into the lobby. Whether they were excited by the movie or disappointed, the sights and sounds of the storm equalized them all and muted their burbling conversations. Hurry home, everybody, Lori repeated a few times as people dawdled in the lobby. It's only getting worse. We're closing. To Max, she said, go shut down the other theaters and send everyone out here, please. I'll have vouchers ready. Max realized he had been hoping for a miracle, some freak pressure change to push the storm north or south so he wouldn't have to shut down two theaters full of obnoxious kids, angry parents, and bitter shift workers like himself who had just wanted a couple hours of entertainment. As rain hissed against the roof like static, he went up to the projector room. He shut down Theater 3's projector, prematurely ending Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. The chorus of jeers and boos which followed made him nervous to go downstairs and address the audience, but he did. Hey everybody, he started. They kept yelling at him. He recognized a few of his classmates in the audience who were booing and cursing at him just as loudly as everyone else. Hey, listen, I'm sorry. We have vouchers for... An enormous blast of thunder shook the building and brought the crowd's volume down a few decibels. Someone in the back said, Oh my god, there's like a huge storm going on right now. Max cut in. It's not safe to keep the movies playing, but you'll get a voucher for a free showing on the way out. Please leave in an orderly... But everyone was already moving. Things went about the same in Theater 4, where the latest Disney Pixar movie was entertaining a horde of snotty, drooling nuggets with popcorn buttery fingertips. Again, he turned off the projector, went down to the front of the theater, and made his announcement. There were tears and angry glares and tiny, I hate yous, but Max was done. Both theaters were empty. When Max returned to the front counter, Lori's cell phone rang. She asked Max to take over and turned her back. Max grabbed a fresh stack of vouchers from behind the counter and moved into Lori's spot. Wait, slow down, Lori said into her phone. Her hand went to her forehead as if she were trying to keep her brain from busting out. All of them? No, no, we shut down. No, there's still a few. Okay, I'm on my way. Okay, okay. Please be careful. She hung up. While he handed free movie vouchers to angry parents, Max listened to Lori explain that one wall of her family's barn had collapsed in the wind, and all of her animals, she had horses, goats, and chickens, had scattered. The call had come from her adult son, who was out in the storm trying to wrangle all the critters into the garage. Can you finish closing up on your own? She asked. I already locked the front doors. Max really didn't see how he could say no. Yeah, sure. Good luck, he said. Lori thanked him, scooped up her purse, and hurried down the hallway toward the employee entrance. Max finished handing out the vouchers and herded a few loitering families through the doors, making sure the doors were still locked when he finished. He turned off the flashy lights behind the counter, the popcorn machine, and the soda fountain. He locked up the registers, all the while listening to the wind's increasing ferocity. He felt bad for forcing everyone else to leave while he stayed safe inside. He had snacks, water, and if the power held up, maybe even some entertainment. Lori wouldn't mind if he fired up one of the projectors for a private showing of Spider-Man. He'd been dying to see it, but had worked all weekend. All that remained was to shut down theaters 2 and 5, which were playing The Boogeyman and Transformers to empty seats. Lori always liked to play the movies even if no one bought tickets, in case somebody came really late or something. 
As Max climbed back up to the projector room, he could hear the boogeyman's eerie soundtrack. It gave him chills. Max was not a huge horror fan on a good day. With the movie's evil sounds blending in with the violent storm, Max couldn't shut down the projector fast enough. Finally, he walked all the way down to Theater 5's projector. The roof sounded like it was made of paper by how hard the rain pattered and splatted against it, and the elevated floor shook with each blast of thunder. Max reached down for the projector's controls, but stopped when he heard someone laugh. Max listened, wondering if he had heard something from the movie, but on screen a battle between giant alien robots was raging, and it didn't look like a very humorous ordeal. Then he heard it again, clear laughter coming from below. Max peeked over the edge of the window and looked straight down at the back row of seats. To his dismay, he saw a trio of teens sprawled out in the back row. They were sitting above a mess of empty candy boxes and snack bags, mostly brands not sold at the concession counter. There were also a few cans of beer scattered around their feet. He almost turned the projector off, but the idea of confronting the vagabonds below in darkness and silence scared him. If he let the movie play, he could pretend to kick them out for all the obvious violations they were committing. They couldn't possibly know he was alone, and they wouldn't know until they were out in the lobby. From there, Max would just have to hope they would leave peacefully. He went down to Theater 5, inhaled deeply, and opened the swinging door. Excuse me, may I see your ticket stubs? He asked the lounging group. Oh, this kid's got us cold. The girl, sitting between two guys, sat up straight and pointed at Max. She had long green braids which cascaded over her white t-shirt almost down to her high-waisted jeans. Max didn't believe he could even think this, given the circumstances, but he found her very attractive. The guy who had his arm around her seemed to notice Max's practiced authoritative expression soften. He leaned forward, too, and said, I think he likes you, Mandy. Tell you what, kid, you let us watch this movie and I bet Mandy will let you see what's under her shirt. Paul, Mandy scolded, but then she laughed. These teenagers were older, probably 18 or 19, but to 16-year-old Max, they might as well have been 25. They terrified him. The guy who had offered a peep show as payment had a tank top on that displayed big, sculpted arms. His powerful legs glowed white where his athletic shorts were pulled up caught between the seat and his substantial hamstrings. Max guessed he was either a football player or a wrestler. The third scammer just kept staring ahead at the screen while the other two laughed into each other's mouths. He had long, greasy-looking hair and a glassy, drunken look in his eyes. The way his hoodie pooled around him told Max he was rail thin, but good God was he tall. That too-big hoodie was undoubtedly the way these older kids had snuck in their goodies. No thanks, Max stammered, trying to recover from the shock of Tank Top Paul's offer and to pretend like his eyes hadn't accidentally flicked to Green Braid Mandy's chest. Just messing with you, bro, said Paul. We're cool. We promise we'll bounce as soon as the credits roll. Yeah, pretend we're just ghosts, Mandy laughed. She was obviously drunk. Max wanted to say that sounded great. He wanted to say that was just fine with him. Hindsight would tell him that is exactly what he should have done. Um, I actually have to... Well, since nobody bought tickets to this movie, I'm shutting it off. Max half lied. If you want, I can give you guys some vouchers, though. They'll get you into any movie you want for free. 
Okay, so let's just pretend we used our vouchers to see this, Tall Guy mumbled. Max couldn't deny the logic. He still didn't want to let them know the full situation, though. So, he lied. It's my boss, guys. She's making me turn it off. If I have to ask her to come in here, she's going to be pissed. She'll call the cops for sure. Thunder rocked the theater. Everyone looked at the screen, thinking they had just heard a plot-diverting explosion. But there was only dialogue coming from the speakers now. Is it raining outside? Mandy asked. Max realized he could give them a little more of the truth without revealing he was by himself. Yeah, we're shutting everything down and asking everyone to leave. He added, There could be a power surge, and the storm could short out the projectors if we don't turn them off. Dude, there's like 20 minutes left of this thing. Just let us finish the movie, Paul said. It sucks anyway. Let's just go, Tall Guy said. Go turn off all the other ones first so we can finish, Mandy suggested. I already did, Max replied. He instantly regretted this and internally scolded himself, but then thought, just because the other theaters are shut down doesn't mean you're alone. They still don't know. You know what, kid? Go ahead and call the police. The movie will be done by the time those pigs show up, Paul said. Mandy laughed again. She had an awful laugh that almost destroyed Max's attraction to her. She sounded like a crossbred donkey pig, and the beer surely didn't help. Max resigned. Yeah, fine. Just leave out the back when you're done so my boss doesn't see you. Mandy whooped victoriously. Max returned to the projector room to watch the rowdy teens below. He checked and saw there was close to 30 minutes left of the movie. He wondered if he should actually call the police. He could, but they were probably busy dealing with the side effects of the storm. Max had never called the police for anything before. Would they question him? Would they need him to press charges? Would they line up Paul and Mandy and Tall Guy down at the station and ask Max to identify them? Max opted to wait and see if the trio would just leave on their own. Odds seemed all right that they would. Fifteen minutes later, Paul got up. Max almost fell out of his chair trying to stand quickly and run to the stairs. He wasn't sure what Paul had gotten up for, but he sensed it would be bad if the muscled-up drunk dude found the rest of the building empty. Max managed to get down the stairs and behind the counter just as Paul came around the corner. Oh, there you are, he said with a smirk. I just gotta take a leak. We still cool? We're cool, Max said dryly. He pointed across the lobby at the restrooms. Paul gave him a little nod and disappeared. Max felt a wave of relief. He'd never been drunk, but alcohol seemed to make people stupid. Maybe it made them stupid enough that Paul wouldn't realize no one else was around. He only had to keep up the charade for 15 more minutes. Two minutes later, Paul came ambling out of the restroom. He strolled over to the counter, leaned toward Max, and with yeasty beer breath said, Give me some water? Max grabbed one of the small plastic cups they used when customers ordered water and nothing else. Hey, man, Paul trailed off. Max tried not to look at him, to act normal, but he couldn't help himself. As he poured water from the soda fountain into the cup, he turned to see Paul looking around, searching. Paul asked, Are you here by yourself? Max stuttered, No, but he had taken too long and sounded too nervous. His split-second hesitation told Paul everything. Holy, yo, you lied to us. Your boss ain't around at all. Oh man, this is great. Okay, okay, uh, get me Reese's Pieces and a root beer. I already shut down the cash register, Max said with a shrug. 
Paul mimicked the shrug and raised an eyebrow. I wasn't planning on paying anyway, dummy, he said. Okay, look, you can finish the movie, I won't bother you, but I can't let you steal stuff. I'll get in trouble and my boss will probably make me pay for it. Not my problem, Paul said. His eyes went dark. Max had read about this happening in books, but had always thought it was just something authors wrote to describe a threatening glare. He didn't think it actually happened in real life, but no. Max couldn't explain how, but Paul's eyes actually looked darker. The way he was looking at Max reminded him of a snake or a shark. Okay, whatever, Max said. He slid a box of Reese's Pieces from the case across the glass countertop. Then he flipped over a large cup. He assumed Paul would demand this size anyway. Turned the soda fountain back on and filled the cup with root beer. You forgot the ice, Paul stated. Max rolled his eyes and splashed a few ice cubes into the fizzing drink. He put a lid on and handed the drink to Paul. Straws are over. Yeah, yeah. As Paul disappeared around the corner, Max whispered, You're welcome. Now he reconsidered calling the cops. The storm was still raging, but it didn't seem to be getting any worse. And now he was the victim of a robbery or something. These kids were sort of holding him hostage, too. He couldn't leave until they did. He decided to call 911 before things got any worse. He had pressed 911 when the whole trio came around the corner together. We didn't know there were free snacks, Mandy cackled. I want some Sour Patch Kids so bad. Max said, no, that's not. Hey, what the hell are you doing? Paul demanded. He snapped and pointed at the phone in Max's hand. That better just be Instagram on your screen. Max tried to swipe away the phone app, but Paul grabbed his wrist. He twisted it so he could see the screen. And when he saw the numbers there, his face went red. He slammed Max's wrist down on the countertop so hard that tears sprouted in the corners of Max's eyes. He felt something in his elbow stretch painfully. Paul ripped Max's phone from his hand, locked it, and put it in his own pocket. I thought we were cool, he said, sounding genuinely hurt. Since I guess we're not, here's how this is going to work. I have to pee, Mandy interrupted. Fine, go, Paul yelled at her. She laughed and jogged away. Paul made a bewildered, palms-turned-up expression at Tall Guy, whose face remained vacant. Okay, here's how this'll go. We are going to order some snacks and some drinks. You are going to bring them to us with your best customer service while we finish Transformers. Then, I don't know, Jay, what do you say we see that new Stephen King movie? Boogeyman or whatever. Yeah, we should definitely stay. Jay, the group's stoic sage, said. He sounded rather unenthused, though, and didn't take his hands off the counter or his eyes off the dark menu. The storm's sounding pretty rough. Yeah, bro, perfect weather for a horror movie. And dude, Mandy will be into it for sure. We gotta stay. Paul punctuated this imperative with a sideways grin at Max. Max's collar had started to stick to his neck, damp with pungent, anxious sweat. So while we finish Transformers, get the scary one ready. Skip all the previews and crap. We'll just cut straight to the feature. Max didn't move or speak. He didn't think these kids knew how to get up to the projector or turn it on. They could get their own snacks, but if he refused to put the movie on, their fun little evening out would be canceled. He weighed the risk of refusing them, which he did not fully comprehend yet, against the possibility of them giving up and leaving. Hey, man, Paul said, looking through his eyebrows at cold-sweating Max. If you behave... You can have your phone back. 
if you don't consider it gone. Paul lifted one of his dirt-impacted running shoe heels onto the counter. He stuck his tongue out at Max as he knocked Max's phone screen against his dirty heel twice. On the second tap, the phone slipped from Paul's fingers, knocked against the corner of the counter, then fell face down on the tile floor with a sharp crunch. Oh-ho! Mandy's voice hooted from across the lobby. She was buttoning her pants and gawking at the phone on the floor. Paul picked it up and laughed nervously. Maybe it'll still work, he shrugged and slid the phone across the counter to Max. The screen had splintered in an intricate spiderweb pattern. Max tapped it, and nothing happened. He hit the side buttons, which made the screen light up, but the phone would not respond to his touch otherwise. It was, in essence, useless. He didn't look up at Paul or Jay or even Mandy, who was giving him a playfully seductive smile to maybe soften the blow he had just been dealt. Instead, he grabbed the key ring on his belt and quickly locked the glass candy case. He then reached around the soda fountain, turned the key protruding from the side, and pulled it out. He finally looked up at his kidnappers as he took three defiant steps back from the counter. Mandy, what do you want to eat? Paul asked, ignoring Max's antics. I already said Sour Patch Kids, Mandy yelled. She was still keeping her distance. Max wished she would come closer. He felt like she was staying clear of something bad she expected to happen. Something she could stomach watching, but not participating in. That's right, get the pretty girl some Sour Patch Kids, bro. We've got a movie to finish. Max didn't move. You know, we'll probably need you to back it up for us a bit by now. Max still didn't move. You gonna get that candy or what? Still as a statue. I want Mike and Ike's, Jay said. Paul's fists clenched. Just get the damn... Paul launched himself over the counter, his dirty running shoes clearing the squeaky glass countertop by inches. He landed on the business side, on tiles made sticky by dozens of overfilled drinks. Max shrunk to the furthest corner, but the mini saloon door which provided the only exit from behind the counter was between him and Paul. If he went for it, Paul would beat him there. He wished he could leap over the counter the way Paul had. He had made it look so effortless. Everything Paul did seemed effortless. The way he moved, the way he smiled, the way he held a 16-year-old employee hostage at the movie theater. In the same regrettable way Max was attracted to Mandy, he admired Paul. Just give me the keys if you're going to be like this, Paul said. If you're mad about your phone, fine, I get it. You don't have to wait on us. Just let us do what we want to do and nobody's going to hurt you. Max swallowed hard and threw the keys over the counter across the lobby with a spastic jerk and without ever looking away from Paul. Paul, with his still dark eyes, flushed red all over. Red blotches even formed on the backs of his bulging triceps and worked their way into the crook of his elbow. He was, by every definition, mad. Get those, he grunted at Jay. Jay's fingers slipped off the counter as he turned his towering body like a lumbering ship and slumped off to retrieve the keyring. In contrast to Jay's slothly movements, Paul moved fast. He lunged at Max and got two meaty hands around his narrow shoulders before Max even realized he was under assault. He thought he heard Mandy whoop, but as Paul dragged him out of his protective corner, Max caught a glimpse of Mandy looking ill and, for the first time, not pretty at all. Jay threw the keyring to Paul, who caught it outfield style in his right hand. His left hand squeezed Max's right shoulder, warning him against trying to worm away. 
Paul tried two keys before the third finally worked in the candy case. The back dropped open, and Paul motioned with his head for Jay to come around. Get all this crap out of here, he said when Jay was standing beside him. All of it? Jay asked lazily. Yeah, we need the space. Nobody had to explain what was about to happen to Max. That single sentence had said it all. No, no! Max fought against Paul's grip, which tightened with his every pathetic movement. Jay yanked out the middle shelf, dropping neatly aligned boxes of candy onto the bottom of the case in a heap. He linked his hands together and used his conjoined arms like a backhoe digging through Candyland. He scooped boxes of hot tamales and Reese's Pieces and M&Ms and Mike and Ikes onto the floor. They rattled in a rapturous chorus of applause as they hit the floor. Even the candy was against Max. Jay emptied the candy counter in four scoops. He manually removed two boxes, which his biological contraption had missed, then stepped out of Paul's way. Paul put a powerful hold on the back of Max's neck and forced his head down. In this way, he folded Max in half, then shoved him into the glass case. As he struggled to prevent the inevitable, Max dropped his disabled phone on the ground. At that very moment, he remembered the emergency feature built into most phones. If he would have squeezed the side buttons five times, his phone would have automatically dialed 911. The glass rattled from an outburst of hostile thunder as Paul slammed the back shut and locked it. Due to a staffing shortage, customers are encouraged to get their own snacks, Paul announced into an invisible intercom. Mandy clapped like a trained seal. Hey, lights. Jay said this, then dropped behind the counter. Paul looked around frantically, noticed the light switch behind the soda fountain, and hit it. The overhead lights behind the counter went out. Max had turned off the vibrant LEDs inside the candy case back when he thought he was in the theater alone. Only the dim lights outside the restroom were on now. Mandy ducked behind the pinball machine as Paul slipped down next to Jay. Max had watched the headlights pull up outside the theater too. He just hadn't said anything. The rain was so heavy that he couldn't see the car, only its faint double aura. He had guessed it was just someone caught in the storm looking to see if the theater was still open. It was then Max realized that, in her haste, Lori had forgotten to turn off the neon open sign hanging beside the front door, and he hadn't looked at it when he'd double-checked the doors. Then, even though he was in the dark and his captors had all successfully hidden, Max's spirits lifted when he saw the person who had stopped outside was a police officer. She ran up to the door and yanked repeatedly at the handle. With everyone inside keeping quiet, Max could hear the violent winds whipping against the doors. Whatever was going on outside, it was bad enough that the cop was begging to be let in. She was pulling on the door handles and screaming, Please, is anyone in there? I need shelter. I need shelter, please. Max took an enormous risk and yelled back to her, but she obviously couldn't hear him. He could hear the hood of her useless raincoat flapping against her head. Max pounded on the glass, growling and screaming like a monkey put in the wrong cage at a zoo. Her face turned toward his, and for a second Max thought she had seen him. Somehow, despite the near-perfect darkness inside, she had noticed him. She certainly had some tool that could unlock the doors. She would bust in, rescue him, and arrest the other three for everything they had done. It wouldn't be juvie for those older kids either. They'd probably face prison time and good riddance. But then the officer's face turned away. She hadn't seen him after all. She had only been looking for someone inside who could help her. Max wanted to help her. 
Had the theaters all been empty, he probably would have been mopping the lobby. He would have opened the door for her and said, watch your step. Maybe he would have made her some popcorn and she could have treated the doors like a screen, the storm like a movie, as Max finished cleaning up. But instead, he was laying sideways in a glass cage that smelled like artificial fruit and cardboard. And was his head getting a little bit light? As a gust of wind washed the cop in horizontal rain, she turned and ran back to her car. Seconds later, the headlights disappeared. The lights behind the counter and inside the case turned back on. Paul and Jay laughed and high-fived each other. Mandy ran across the lobby and joined in the action. Dude, what are the odds? Paul asked. He pounded his palm against the top of the glass hard five times. Now Max understood why the fish tank at the dentist's office displayed the sign that said, do not tap on the glass. The sound jarred him and gave him the beginnings of an eyeball-throbbing headache. To Jay, Paul said, Yo, turn off that open sign. I don't want to get interrupted again. But that was fun, Mandy cheered. Hey, it's getting kind of hard to breathe in here, Max said. He hoped, man, he hoped, that these wild kids had a line they wouldn't cross, and that that line was murder. No way that thing's airtight, Paul scoffed. Nice try, though. No, seriously, it's like, I can't really feel my hands and my head's starting to hurt. Watch, Jay said. Something new shone in his eyes when he looked down on Max. I bet he's going to pretend to pass out. Mandy drew in a huge breath. She said, I know how to keep him awake, and pressed her chest against the glass. Max shut his eyes. He also covered his ears when Mandy started cooing at him as if he were a baby. He felt like a carnival freak being gawked at by a group of misbehaved children. Paul was the bully, Mandy the cute one that can get away with whatever she wants, and Jay... Jay was the one who would probably drown a stray cat one day just to see what it felt like. Max wouldn't have been at all surprised to learn this milestone had already occurred. Adding credence to Max's thoughts, Jay said, Let's fill it with butter. Huh? asked Paul. The case. Let's fill it up with butter. Paul, sounding off balance and possibly even concerned, asked, Why? And Jay just shrugged. That shrug summed up his entire personality. Nonchalant, aimless, maybe not too bright, sadistic, perverted, possibly but hopefully not homicidal. Paul said, Yeah, man, I don't know. But Jay was already opening the cupboard directly beneath the popcorn machine, where, sure enough, gallons of red-orange, semi-opaque popcorn butter were stored. How would we even dump it in there? Paul asked. A good question. A reasonable question for reasonable people. Max couldn't believe he was mentally cheering for Paul now. I want to do it too, Mandy cheered and pulled away from the case. Was she actually a sadist too, or just a dumb tag-along? Max couldn't tell, but he was frightened of her either way. She was the wild card. She could tip the scales toward Jay or Paul on a whim. Okay, but somebody tell me how we're going to do it, Paul shouted. He clearly didn't like losing control of his little group. I mean, if we open it up to dump butter in, it's all just going to leak right out. Jay snapped his fingers and said, Better idea. He opened one of the jugs of runny butter and sloshed some onto the top of the case. He smeared it around with his palm, then poured on a little more. Hey Mandy, get that fire extinguisher, Jay said, nodding over his shoulder at the red case mounted on the wall. He poured on some more butter. No, what are you doing? Stop, stop it, Max screamed. 
He didn't have to be a genius to chart Jay's thoughts. You know, man, we probably shouldn't mess around with fire. I mean, have you ever done this before? Paul asked. Max was starting to like Paul. He was the closest thing Max had to a friend or an ally at the moment. He knew Paul was just trying to save his own skin, but would it hurt if he saved Max's in the process? Nah, Jay replied. I've never done it before. That's why I gotta do it now. And the look in Jay's sadist eyes told Max that nothing was going to stop him from what he meant to do. This says an alarm will go off if I open the case, Mandy said. She sounded uncharacteristically even-tempered. Should I still get it out? Nah, let's just wait and see what happens. Just stand over there so you can grab it if we need it, Jay instructed. From his hoodie's pocket, he produced a lighter. Max watched him toss the lighter back and forth from one hand to the other, from fingers slick with wasted popcorn butter to fingers pale and clean. Then, in a moment of impossible ignorance, of magnitudinal negligence, Jay caught the lighter in his buttered hand, held it toward the counter, and flicked a small flame into existence. The flame was only small for a fraction of a second. It hungrily consumed the addictive butter-adjacent substance which coated both Max's cage and Jay's hand. Jay howled and fell down, clutching his hand as it became the world's biggest, crunchiest piece of calamari. Max started kicking, trying to escape the transparent oven he was locked inside. Paul yelled and stepped back to get clear of the open flames. Mandy, shockingly, was silent. If not for the fire's blinding orange light, Max would have seen her hugging the fire extinguisher case as if the life-saving device inside might protect her on its own. Get it out! Get it out! Jay was howling at Mandy from the floor. Above Max, the glass cracked. No, 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 help me! Let me out of here! He screamed. A smelting hot drop of burnt butter dripped through a crack in the glass above. It landed on his elbow, sending novel signals through his nerves, signals which caused his entire body to spasm. Another drip landed on the back of his shirt, and yet another landed on the back of his neck. Such tiny pinpricks of pain gave him a taste of what would come if the glass above gave out, and it was starting to glow around the edges. The untamed fire raging all over it showed no signs of fading out. Another long crack formed, and a steady stream of sizzling butter started pouring in behind Max's legs. Let me out, he screamed again. Suddenly, the entire building was flashing red and wailing at them. With a rattlesnake hiss, the sprinklers turned on. Mandy had opened the fire extinguisher case, and now Paul was waggling his fingers at her, gesturing for her to toss the extinguisher to him. The water spraying from the ceiling only spread the formerly localized grease fire further. Butter substitute was washed down the sides of the case, trailing angry little tails of fire down to the pile of candy boxes. The front of the case cracked, and the top buckled. Now hot, sizzling, skin-searing popcorn butter poured into the case in tiny waterfalls. All the hot stuff Max could dodge ended up pooling around him, burning him anyway. Soon his whole body would be as crispy as Jay's hand, and all he had wanted to do was close down the movie theater. Now he was being paid $9 an hour to get cooked alive. Max heard the jet engine hiss of the fire extinguisher. He thought he was being saved, but no. Paul had the nozzle pointed over the counter at his friend Jay, who was still writhing on the floor, his burnt, shriveling hand held out to receive the blessed cloud of salvation. Max was screaming and rolling and dodging searing drops of trans fats, but Paul kept on spraying Jay. Cool, confident Paul was frozen in total shock. 
More cracks splintered the glass over Max's head and scorching butter oozed onto one of his cheeks. The fire alarm continued to blare with disorienting volume. Its ear-splitting pitch was almost worse than the blistering heat of the flaming butter, yet Max still felt a surge of anger when a drop of the stuff landed in his ear, dripped down into his ear canal, and melted his eardrum. The instant deafness which resulted unleashed a beast. Some have referred to this beast as the will to live. Others call it survival instinct. Max had hit his limit, absorbed all he could take. Any further pain was just another penny in the wishing well. He lashed out with a kick that sent heated glass spraying across the lobby. It also collapsed the top of the case and created a deluge of flaming butter substitute. Max was already rolling away when the wash of burning butter hit his back. This pain was just another drop in the ocean. He was already in so much agony and so determined to escape it that he didn't even wince. Max ran past whimpering Jay, past slack-jawed Mandy, through the red and orange lobby, and out into the storm where sweeping wind showered him sideways in pelting raindrops. There, Max collapsed. It took the fire department almost an hour to get to the theater. Downed trees and power lines had forced them to take detour after detour in the already treacherous weather conditions. When they pulled up, one of them immediately spotted the charred teenager laying under the marquee. When one of them ran to him, Max asked, Am I going to be okay? Even though it didn't look like he would be anything close to okay, the firefighter replied, You'll be just fine. Hang in there, guy. The theater itself was a total loss. While the exterior had been saved by the storm which had, ironically, flattened a good portion of the town and killed seven of its residents, the interior was burned up and good for nothing but an insurance payout. The hard drives on which the security cameras recorded evidence had been melted into black puddles and buried beneath inches of ash. Max told everyone who would listen, including Lori, who came to visit him in the hospital the next day, about the trio of young adults who had started the fire. Everyone believed him, but with only first names and vague descriptions to go on, Paul, Jay, and Mandy were never caught. The police had been too tied up with storm-related emergencies to look for the troublesome teens until they had a chance to get far away. A hospital in Nebraska reported a 19-year-old with a burnt hand, but his first name was Will. Jay got away because he had used a nickname. Of this, Max felt sure. To this day, Max takes interest in any criminal investigations involving sadistic torture of an innocent. He always calls whatever department is listed after the If You Have Information line and tells them to look into tall men named Will or who go by Jay. The other two were young and dumb, probably already locked up for some petty crime. But Max still looked over his shoulder for Jay anytime he went out. His ordeal sounded like something one might hear on a true crime podcast the story of the one who got away. There was always one, which meant that somewhere out there, a tall, fairly stupid man with the soul of a killer was making his mark on history. After he was released from the hospital, Max traveled to the next town over to finally see Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. When the kid behind the counter asked him, you want popcorn? Max habitually replied, sure. But when the kid behind the counter asked, you want butter on that? Max doubled over. His back and scarred cheek had flared up, searing his nervous system with phantom pain. Thankfully, this physical memory only lasted a second. Actually, he said, straightening up, 
Could I just have some Sour Patch Kids? You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. If you want more creepy content, follow me on Instagram at The Warning Woods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the Warning Woods. Thank you for listening. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.